Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, I I realize that sometimes you do have to go to a point that is uncomfortable <laughs> in order to do something different, you know, with your art or with your music. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Live Through That. I'm your host, Mike Hipple, and on this podcast, we'll dig a little deeper into a pivotal moment into the lives of some of my favorite artists from the 80s and 90s. I remember back in 1997, I was in a record shop browsing the stacks, as you did back in the day, when the opening notes of Dig Me Out jumped out of the speakers. I was immediately hooked by the song, and I loitered around listening to the record, not really absorbing the CDs I was looking at. By the time I got to words and a guitar, I walked up to the woman behind the counter and I asked, Who is this? It's the new Sleater Kinney record, she said. It was an advanced copy and it wouldn't be out for another week. Of course, I returned the next week to pick up my own copy and I've been a huge fan ever since. I can't believe how lucky I am this week to have Sleater Kinney's very own Corin Tucker on the show. Today, she talks with us about the process of creating 2005's album The Woods. The Woods is a raw and emotional album and, if judging by the new album's first single, Hell, their new album Little Rope seems to have been born from a similar emotional place. So I would like to talk today about a record that my band Slater Kinney made almost 20 years ago now. This was in 2004, the end of 2004 we made an album called The Woods. And it was different than anything we've done before in a couple of ways. First off, we were working with a producer called Dave Fredman, who we hadn't worked with before, but we'd heard a lot of good things about. But the way that Dave works is that the band comes to him he uh, he lives in like Western New York. Um, I think he actually lives in Fredonia and um, he teaches at the university there. So he's, you know, he's, he's got a family. So he asks that the band comes to him and they, he has a house It's called Tarbox um, and the band stays in the house and, um, you know, they, you work during the day when Dave is free, um, and do the recording and the mixing. And I had had a child in 2001. So I think my son was like three at the time, but 
you know, I was still, the band was still making music. We were still continuing on with our career. And, you know, we sort of negotiated that we would go to this, um, the studio, go to Tarbox for like three weeks and, and start working on the record. And I think that I was unprepared as to how intense it was going to be to leave everything behind and go into this kind of like other world because we'd always made records in the Pacific Northwest you know, we'd made records here in Portland, Oregon at Jackpot Studio, or we'd gone to Seattle. Um, but that was before I I was a mom. And so this was, it was a pretty big jump for me. And when we got there, you know, Western New York is like very, very snowy. I mean, in a lot of ways, the isolation and um, the like sheer remoteness of it makes you, it forces you to dive into a world. So in that way, I felt like the kind of focus that we had on the music and on trying to improvise together. I mean, we do like a really long improvised jam on the album for Let's Call It Love, the song that we wrote. And we had never done anything that extensive and that intense before, you know, and so it, in some ways being just completely unattached from everything, um, I think did bring us this, you know, kind of like complete focus on what we were doing. And, and it did, I think, helped me grow as an artist because it just forced me to have to, um, try really different things. I was so out of my comfort zone the entire time. (laughs) But, you know, it's like some of my favorite lyrics were written in that studio. Like not all of the songs were completely done. And I definitely didn't have my lyrics finished until we were there. And then, you know, and Dave is such an amazing producer, but he's also kind of a taskmaster. (laughs) And that he would be like, okay, I need a printout of your lyrics. Let's go through this. Let's go through that. And, you know, all of these things were, um, you know, a little different in terms of the, the workflow that, that I was used to. And it was, it was tough. It was really difficult. There were days where I was just, just wiped, just emotionally so wiped and so missing being with my partner and my son. I was just kind of a wreck actually, emotionally. But it's also, you know, in the end, I felt like I had done really different things, you know, both with lyrics, with singing. The singing on it is, it's very intense. And I think it is very raw because of that emotionality. And it also, you know, forced, forced us to do different things with the music as well. Like I said, the experimentation, you know, the, the improvisation that we did, Um, And the way that Dave would ask different things like, well, you know, what have you got? What kind of guitar sound for this song? You know, have you tried a bunch of different pedals? You know, and so it was just, it was all kind of a trial by fire, I think, in some ways to push the band to a different level. You know, I, I realize that sometimes you do have to go to a point that is uncomfortable <laughs> in order to do something different, you know, with your art or with your music. 
and that that's okay and that you will get out on the other side. And I also, one thing I really learned about that experience was the ability to take criticism, constructive criticism, and, you know, and kind of rework songs. I think early on in the band, you know, I would bring in an idea or bring in a song and just be like, well, here it is. It's done, you know. And and if somebody criticized it, I think I would take it personally sometimes or just be like, ah, what do you mean that's not strong enough or you know what I mean and 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 I think by that point I was old enough and I had done enough things that I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe we do need to rework the beginning of the song or maybe if we do try it this different way, it would be better or maybe I do need to work on this lyric." And that has helped me a lot since then because, you know, I think that the heart of collaborating, which is my favorite part of doing music, is that you will become better and stronger from from having other people's opinions about things and listening to people's feedback on how they think the song could be stronger. You know, and I, I think that that's something that I was kind of finally I was finally ready to hear and it did make a, 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 a really strong album, a different album. And it did help me try different things, you know, in the future after that experience. The Woods has what I consider to be one of the best album openers with the song, The Fox. You drop the needle on the record and that raw power just hits you and provides the perfect introduction to what the album is about. I wanted to ask about how they came to sequence their record. I mean, it's, you know, it's always a collaborative process in terms of, you know, trying different sequences. You know, I think trial and error is is the most important thing with a sequence always is like, it's like a puzzle. I swear it's like a jigsaw puzzle. And you have to hear it a bunch of different ways to know what is going to sound the best, especially at the top of the album, for sure. But I think the way that song turned out the combination of the kind of frenetic writing that we were doing. Um, and then Fridman's production. I mean, he just takes everything literally to 11, like literally <laughs> everything he runs is in the red. It's completely like the opposite of what you would learn in audio engineering school. He does everything into the red. And so the way that that song came out, it was so over the top. And so, um, emotional, you know, I think that it kind of became a really great opener because it was so sort of shocking at the beginning of the song with all of the roaring, you know, guitar and all the feedback that happens. And then it, you know, zoom, just like quiets down to the the very quiet singing part. And so it was so dramatic that I think, you know, everyone kind of agreed like, oh, that would be a good opening song for the record. You know, like I said, we were really trying to build a world with that album that was really different than anything we've done before. And so I think in some ways it's almost like writing a scene when you write a song and you want to drop people, if you can, right into the world. Um, I mean, I think that's one thing that our band, <laughs> when we accomplish that, it's it's really satisfying. And so I'm glad that kind of comes across. After The Woods, the band went on a hiatus. It would be 10 long years before their next album, No Cities to Love, would be released. Did that tension and feeling of isolation contribute to the break? 
Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's definitely probably part of it, you know, and like I said, I was struggling with being a mom and having this career that, you know, just really requires you to travel and be away from your family so much. So that definitely contributed too. You know, I think that there's so many stressors that, you know, people don't realize, and especially in like a long-term career of being an artist, it's, you know, there's no kind of routine day-to-day, I know what my day is going to look like. You know, it's just, that's just not what it is. And it's really hard to parent and to have that set up in your life. Um, Even though, you know, I'm fortunate to have like a very involved partner, you know, who's totally up for for taking care of the kids, it's still like, it still just kind of rips you apart. And I think that was definitely at play when we were like, you know, the band just like needs a break. We were just, you know, we were just not in a good place. And so, you know, I didn't know what hiatus was going to mean, but it ended up being, you know, kind of a long hiatus, but it's, it's not a bad thing. You know, I think a lot of good things came out of, of taking a break. Sleater Kinney have received so many kudos over the years, including having Griel Marcus proclaiming them the best band in the world in a piece for Esquire. I'm curious if she's ever felt imposter syndrome. I've heard I've heard people talk about that, and I know I know the feeling of of feeling like maybe I'm not good enough, but I don't I don't really feel like I I started my career that way. You know, I started from a really different place. I started in the punk community, right? So I started with the kind of ethos that everyone should be able to be an artist and everyone should be able to enter being in a band without the kind of, you know, professional training that prevents so many people from becoming musicians and artists. And I definitely entered through that framework. So I started writing songs without knowing anything about... (laughs) about how music is structured. I mean, I, I, I did have piano lessons when I was a kid. So I did, I did have some training, but I wasn't professionally trained and I wasn't trying to fit into that mold in any way. And I did so much touring and so much work um, through the punk community that I felt like I had entered, you know, through a different mindset that was all about inclusion and it wasn't about, you know, being able to have a really glossy kind of corporate presentation um, that I think that so many people relate to that, you know, through like mainstream music and and top 40, as we used to call it on radio, you know, um, that I didn't come to music and I didn't come to songwriting through that framework. I came through this really different mentality was, you know, that was more about telling the truth in your writing was kind of like the most important ethos. And I always felt a really strong pull to that. And I always felt like that's what I was able to do. That was my strength was, was writing and singing. And so I didn't, I didn't really feel that kind of, you know, that kind of like imposter syndrome that, that people call it, you know, I did, I did have like moments that were really, (laughs) that were really intense. Like when we opened for Pearl Jam, you know, we were, this was like in the one beat era and we were suddenly opening for like the biggest rock band in the world (laughs) and their audiences were huge. So that was, that was definitely, 
it was an, it was a tough job at times, you know, because it wasn't our audience and it wasn't our community. We were suddenly jumping from punk rock to giant mainstream rock, but you know, everyone in Pearl Jam was, was really super cool to us and they appreciated us for who we were and that we were this, you know, very scrappy punk rock band and, and they supported us and Eddie would come out and introduce us every night, you know? So I think when I did have those kinds of insecurities or moments, I was fortunate enough to be still in a community that was, that was like super, super supportive. I think when one beat came out, they, they were just honestly really big fans of that album and, you know, and, and, and kind of things aligned where we had this new music out and it seemed like a good opportunity and yeah. And so we agreed and it was wild. I mean, it was wild. It was, it was just such an intense time in this country and their audience is, is very different. And we, played a show in Denver. And I remember it was like the beginning of the Iraq war. And I got up and said, you know, I just want to support the people that are protesting this war on the streets. And I got booed by 15,000 people because their audience has a lot of people who are in the military and they were worried about their family and friends. And I hadn't realized that I hadn't put that together. But, you know, that was like, a, that was definitely a learning thing for me to like, to look around and see where you're at and see how, you know, what you're going to say is, is going to hit people because it's, you might want to like, think about the context of that a little bit more. So that was definitely, that was definitely a, a live through this moment as well. <laughs> Fan reaction to 2019's The Center Won't Hold was mixed, and I was curious how the band felt about that. Well, that's the thing that's funny is that that's how people reacted to The Woods at first. So many people were like, this isn't Slater Kinney. This sounds so weird. You know, they ruined the band. I mean, that reaction, people don't realize because it's not saved on the internet as things are now. Social media just wasn't as popular back then, but, but people did say that in reviews at the time. And we got that kind of backlash, um, from doing the woods, you know, from trying something that was really experimental and different. And so when we did hear that kind of criticism with a center won't hold, we were kind of like, yeah, we've, we've been through this before. We know that sometimes people are resistant to us trying something different and tr- resistant to change and, you know, want the band to, to stay within a certain parameter, you know, and, but, you know, like I said, I think that would be kind of too stifling for us as artists. Like we really do like to try different things and push the boundaries and, um, and it's okay that, that people it's, at first might not be ready for it because in the long run, people come around, you know, and they, there are people that love that record. And now, I mean, I was, it's so funny because last summer we were playing songs from that album and we started playing reach out and I saw these young people. It was really funny, but like, like young people, like in their twenties running across the field when that song started, like, Oh, this is a song we can dance to. And, and it was like, 
oh yeah, exactly. We accomplished something, you know, that's, that's like exciting and different than the rest of our songs. It is kind of like a more poppy dance song and it's really fun to put in the set to have something a little different. You know, you don't actually want every song that you do to be in the same genre, in the same field. You actually really want that variety. So it was just this little moment of like, well, yeah, it's three or four years on and and people are, are really digging this song in this like live setting. And so you do kind of have to ride the wave um, you know, when something first comes out and maybe not everybody likes it, but, you know, I think sort of time will tell on, on how the songs um, sound a few years down the road. With a career that spanned over 25 years, I'm wondering how they keep it going. I think that, you know, in terms of being an artist and, and, and what like draws me to it is is really it's I love the writing I love being able to write and create and do something different you know and I think that we've always tried to do different things with every record um, we've tried to do something that we haven't done before and you know I think that that really helps because you know you kind of need a challenge I think I would be it would be really hard to just play the same thing and do the same thing over and over again. I think the ability to grow and hopefully, you know, work on your songwriting and work on your craft and work on what you do on the live stage, like all of that to me is an opportunity to, you know, to do something different, to experiment, to become stronger, to realize what your strengths are. Um, And, you know, and I think that is what's, what's still interesting about doing the band. If if you're honest where, when you're an artist, there's always times where you're like, I don't think I can keep doing this. <laughs> there's so many times over the past 25 or 30 years now um, that I felt like this, this can't go on, you know, because it is really difficult at times to not know what's going to happen, to not have regular income, to not have uh, any kind of routine. I think it's very challenging. But, you know, I think that there is a like a, a definitely a pull towards to keep going because I do really feel like it's not a job, that it's more of a calling of something that I think is is really important. And there's a lot of things that you can do with a band that, you know, that that give you a, like a strength that's that's greater than the sum of its parts in a lot of ways. And finally, with a catalog of very different albums, does she have a favorite? I mean, it's that's too hard for me to pick because I feel like I'm so emotionally attached to everything, you know? I will say that I feel like One Beat is a really special album that sometimes doesn't get the credit it deserves in a way because it was such a like pivotal time for me. It was right after... I had my son and I was just like, there's just no way that I can keep doing this, you know? And it was only because Carrie and Janet were so supportive of, of me and just accommodated like coming over to my house and writing the songs there and doing everything in Portland. And, you know, it made 
um, it made that record able to exist and able for me to, to keep going. So I do have kind of a special place in my heart for that record. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much to Corin Tucker for being on the show. Slater Kinney's new record, Little Rope, will be in stores on January 19th, 2024, and their tour supporting the record starts shortly thereafter. And a quick reminder that you can also buy my book on 80s musicians and where they are today, 80s Redux, and its sequel, Live Through That, on 90s artists wherever you buy your books. And if you like this show, please leave a review where you're listening. It always helps others to find us. And of course, subscribe so you'll know when the latest episode comes out. You can also follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Mike Hipple Photo, all one word. Thanks for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.